Luke 2 it is. I can honestly say from as early as I can remember, Luke 2 is probably the most read passage um, in my journey because it was read every single Christmas morning uh, that I can remember and has been uh, not only in the home I grew up in, but also uh, the one that I'm seeking to, to form. So very uh, memorable and somewhat famous text, even from those who do not count uh, Jesus as their king. And so it's good to dive into something familiar. And so uh, let's do that together, shall we? I'm going to read verses <clears throat> 1 through 21. For those of you who are guests with us, we're just going through the book of Luke, um, and so we find ourselves now in chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, and it tells the true and miraculous story of the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me read it, and then I'll pray, and then we'll seek to understand it and apply it together. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child." And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And when they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, and when they saw it, And they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given him by the angels before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. (coughs) Father in heaven, we ask that in this moment you would be our strength where we are weak. You would show off your glory and you would focus us in on your words that nothing else would catch our gaze or our affection. Like Jesus Christ. That, Father, you would do an unraveling in our souls of those things that are killing us from the inside out. And that, Father, you would place your Holy Spirit within us. You would grant us faith and confidence and joy. And that, God, you would change us. You would make us new. And for those who are new, you would remind us of our newness in you, of your presence with us, of how for us you really are. And you would make this story, a familiar story, come alive. We need a fresh glimpse of you, so help us, I pray. We ask this 
for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So you might have heard of the phrase, the bigger they are, the what? Harder they fall. That's right. Usually you hear it in light of some type of when a small guy is trying to take down a big guy and it's meant to encourage the little guy, you know, hey, that guy's like six times your size, but you know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, you know, and that's how it's supposed to encourage you somehow. And many times you get squashed, but that's not the point of today. Have you ever thought about that phrase in light of Christmas? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Specifically, at Christmas time, I'm referring to expectations. It's amazing how a season of generosity can so quickly turn into a season of discontentment. The bigger the buildup, the bigger the opportunity for discouragement and letdown, because ultimately, the higher those expectations are set upon something on this earth satisfying, the greater the letdown. Some of us focus on certain things and it leads to discontentment. That is, I wanted this certain thing and it didn't come. Or you bought a gift for someone and you have the movie in your head of how much you will be loved and how the, you know, just exuberance will just show off of their face. And that might not happen. Sometimes it doesn't. You've all been there. Or you have the expectations of, I really thought the Christmas season would look like this. For some of you, it's just vacation. Responsibilities kind of fading away, and I'm going to be kicked back on the couch. Relaxation, let me just put a hint there. If you have children, die to that dream, okay? <laughs> die to it, okay? Just right now. Put it on the cross, kill it, okay? Because it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. So, but others of you, there's this sense of, I'm going to connect with family, I'm going to connect with those that I haven't seen. And sometimes we set up these expectations. Maybe this time my crazy uncle won't say something horrible. Or maybe this time my parents will actually say something that's encouraging to me. And they'll actually not talk about what a lousy job I have or how I'm not raising my kids right or something like that. And you've been there, right? You have these expectations and rarely when they are lifted so high do things go like you want them to go. Well, that was only um, made worse for me. As I was writing the sermon this week, my car broke down. And I needed to take it to um, the dealership. It's actually under warranty a little bit, so they were working on it. So I took it over there, and I'm sitting in this used car dealership. And I'm writing this sermon and around me, I'm surrounded by all these brand new cars. And the thought just begins to come to me like, this is not a season for the faint-hearted. This Christmas season, because our whole culture right now is trying to convince you of one thing. What you have is not okay. You need something else. I'm sitting there looking at these cars. And these people are making a living trying to convince everyone who comes through the door that what they have is insufficient and how what is new now is going to be what they needed. The heated seats, the GPS, the trunk that closes on its own, all you got to do is push a button, car that you can talk to, this is what you need. I'd just be thankful for car locks that worked. But isn't it amazing, isn't it amazing how we are told what you have is not okay? When's the last time you were told the house you have is perfectly fine, you'll be okay? The car you're driving, it's a good car, it'll be fine. The clothes you're wearing, they're sufficient, what do you need? When was the last time you were told that? Rather than the latest style, your image is frumpy, you don't look good. Welcome to Christmas. 
cutting through all of it is Luke 2. And in the middle of Luke 2, something cuts through all of the expectations that can fade and all the things that you can touch that will let you down. It's an expectation that will deliver. It's something that you can lean your life on and it will not give way. It's not the comfort of vacation or the unity of family or the giving and receiving of gifts, but it's on the real surety of Christmas. It's anchoring your soul into a Savior who was given for you that you might have life with him forever. Friends, there's a promise that will not give way. And so, seriously, how in the world can we find joy and rest this Christmas season? I want to introduce you to some good news. An announcement, a great announcement that is made here in Luke 2 that will not give way, that has been accomplished, and that secures every other word that God ever has spoken for you and over you, it will come true. And so, what we are looking at is the great announcement of Luke 2. Let's just dive into the passage here and let's get to know it a little bit. It says in Luke 2, <coughs> in Luke 2, Verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now he was the ruler. He ruled from 31 B.C. to 14 A.D., Roman ruler. And so what he did was for his entire Roman world, he decreed that a census must be taken. So that's what it says, that all the world should be registered. This is all the inhabited world. That was under Roman rule. And so they should go and be registered for a census. Now, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, Luke is really good about including specific historical details in order to anchor everything that he's saying into reality, not just into fiction or fantasy. Okay? So these, these facts can be checked that as Quirinius was about to be governor of Syria, this census was taken, and now, verse 3, all went to be registered, each to his own town each to his own town. And now he zooms in the lenses and tells us about a specific family, a family that we've already been introduced to in Luke chapter 1, family that consists right now of Mary and Joseph, and she's pregnant. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is Bethlehem. Now this going up phrase is crucial for you to understand this is not a casual journey. You're looking at 80 miles It's from Raleigh to Greensboro, and it's basically an uphill jaunt. You're looking at about 2,600 feet above sea level is Bethlehem. So it's basically on this mountain that is Beth where Bethlehem sits. It's up a hill, 80 miles, means oxygen gets less and less as you go up and up, and she's pregnant. And I don't know, I mean, you've seen some pictures of her riding on a donkey. We have no idea how she made the trek. That could be the case. She could have hoofed and walked the whole shebang. We have no idea. But all I know is if anybody's been pregnant out there, they're going to say, mercy on her. 80 miles. 80 miles. And they arrive in Bethlehem. Now, Joseph, he was from David's line, David's city where he was from, was Bethlehem. And isn't it interesting how there is Caesar Augustus issuing a decree, a Roman ruler who has only his self-interest and the interest of his powerful empire um, on his mind, and he issues a decree that fully carries out God's plan predicted thousands of years before. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, what you hear is that the Savior to come will be born in Bethlehem. And now... It's being carried out according to God's perfect plan. A man who is confident in himself, a man who thinks he is ruling in the way that he thinks he can rule, all for himself, God is using and crafting and taking his life to work out his beautiful purposes. And so, they are headed to the city of Bethlehem. And they are headed there because Joseph's family was from David, and we know that the Messiah must come from the line of David. Now, verse 5. Joseph was not going alone. He was with Mary, and it says his betrothed who was with child. Now, this is a scandal. 
We have heard this phrase betrothed before, and he's taking us back to what he told us earlier in Luke 1, that this is a scandal. She is pregnant, and they are not married. Bottom line, scandal in the first century, okay? Now today, that has become fairly normal. People try out relationships, and sometimes they get pregnant, and then if they like life and like life together, then they'll get married. I just want you to know that is not God's intention and there are consequences and there is some great sadness and tragedy that is introduced in our world when we go against God's design. His design is that it's marriage and then you have children and you raise them together. And so, although not felt as a scandal in our day and time, it is a scandal both now and then. But Luke's emphasis is not the scandal. It's unique. He just makes it as a passing comment and we keep trucking. Look at verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Firstborn is probably forecasting, foreshadowing, pointing us to the fact that Mary and Joseph went on to have a normal married life and they had more children. Luke tells us later on that, that Jesus had brothers and sisters. So Jesus was the firstborn, though, which confirms the fact that she was a virgin and had never given birth before. And... When the son was, had given birth, she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger that is a feed trough for animals because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, an inn might not think a Hotel 6. The way it rolled back then was people would have homes and they had guest rooms. And sometimes when people would come to town, they would rent out their rooms. And so this word is literally just guest room. It's used that way later on in Luke. And so we have no idea exactly the way it all worked out, but there was no room in any of the places that there were to stay. So Mary and Joseph found themselves in a, a cave, a stable. Um, we're not really sure how it looked, but nonetheless, they are uh, placing the risen Christ in a manger. And now you ask this question, why is this in here? Why is this story in here? Well, what's interesting is Martin Lloyd-Jones, a, a fairly well-known pastor, um, makes a distinction between good advice and a good announcement. Good advice is something that you kind of weigh, you take in, yeah, I'll see if I want to follow that, but it, it requires you to do something. Uh, okay, now that I've heard this, what will I do in response to this good advice? An announcement is something that's already happened, and you're just telling people what it is that has happened. And this is exactly why Luke 2 is in here for us. It is not good advice on how to be like Mary and Joseph. It is an announcement. An announcement of something that has already been accomplished. That God wants to open up not only to the shepherds that we'll see a little bit later, but to open up to every reader that every re ever reads this from here forward, and that is to say, this has happened. And what is the this in that sentence? I just finished reading a book this week called Hidden Christmas by Tim Keller. And he says this, the foundation of the Christian religion is this, we could not come to God. He came to us. And he stood in our place, beginning in the womb, leading all the way to the cross. The Christmas story is of a Savior who stood in our place, who had to come to us because we could not fix ourselves. It is a gospel announcement that the world is broken and filled with darkness, and it is incapable of solving its greatest dilemmas. And so the creator of the universe comes and dwells with man and identifies with man, stands in humanity's place even at the point of the womb. And this is why Luke goes on to say, we have a Savior, a Savior who came to seek out and to save the lost because he knew that we could not find God on our own nor get to him by our own merits. So what we have here is a great announcement. It is good news. And Luke 2 
is as good a news as you will find. It is a great announcement that announces what we're going to see here is five things. And so I just want to take them one by one. Let's look at the first one. This is a great announcement that to us, a child is born. Now see, what verses 8 and following do for us is they tell us who in the world this son is. Because right now, all we get, Mary and Joseph had a son and they put him in a feed trough. That's what we have. But now the door is opened as the shepherd's world gets rocked. Angel comes and he says, fear not, for behold, look at verse 10, I bring you good news, an announcement of a great joy that will be for all people. And that is, for to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now when my wife and I had our first child, Elijah, 2002, we said that that child was born to Dana and Sean. If some people send out birth announcements and they'll put... This picture of, you know, the mom and the dad holding the baby, you know, or if you're a single parent, you know, this is, you've got this child, and this child is born to you. First child in human history that is not said to be born to Mary and Joseph primarily, it says, for unto you all, born to the world, a gift like never before. The birth announcement won't have Mary and Joseph's picture on it. It'll have yours and mine. This child is born to you this day in a town that you can find in human history so that anyone who receives this gift would have a life changed forever. Crazy birth announcement. For to you is born this day in the city of David. For to you. Who's the you? Luke 2 tells us later on in verse 32. He says, A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Who was this child? He was a light to the nations and to the people of Israel. Anyone who would trust in him. This child was born for them. It's an announcement that a child has been born, that God is giving a divine gift in his son to all of humanity, anyone who would accept him, would find this child as what? What does it say? As verse 11, a Savior who is the promised Messiah who's fulfilling all of those promises. He is the Lord, the boss, the king, the one that you submit your life to. That's who this infant is. But some gifts are hard to receive, aren't they? Tim Keller told this illustration. I laughed out loud when I read it, so I figured I would share it for your joy. So, you've all opened up these gifts, right? Gifts that once you opened them, you look at them, and you're trying to force a little bit of enthusiasm, right? It's not something you necessarily expected, not even something you really even dreamed that you would ever get. And all of a sudden, boom, there it is, and it is yours. You get it. And, and, you know, you just want to be gracious, even the best of people. You just want to be gracious and say thank you, but deep down you're like, huh, where did that come from? I just don't even know how I'm going to use this, but that's okay. Well, imagine this. Imagine there's a book that's wrapped, and you open up that book, and you read the title, and the book says this, 10 Steps to Dieting. You're like, huh. What you saying? <laughs> then you open up the next gift. It's a book again. You rip it open. The title, Overcoming Selfishness. <laughs> those gifts might be a little difficult to receive. What do you think? To receive those gifts, you have to ultimately say this. I am fat and I'm obnoxious. <laughs> right? For those to be beneficial, that's what you got to claim. And this gift of a son will wreck the soul a lot more than having to say, I'm overweight and I'm selfish. He's saying that you are helpless. 
And you're a helpless sinner. A sinner who, in no strength of your own, will ever get yourself out of the dilemma of your sin. A sin so egregious that, it, that words fall short. It is treason against the king of the universe. A sin so egregious that God had to enter into human history and take weakness upon himself in order that you might be fixed, changed from the inside out, that I might be made new. This isn't even something where cosmetics can fix it. It's not even something that a part of me has to be rearranged. I've got to be completely made new. In order to receive that, you have to admit that every other potential attempt at a Savior will fall short. No other relationship, no other thing, nothing that you can hold no a bit of control you can have, no a bit of confidence that you can portray, no a bit of favor from somebody else that pats you on the back. Nothing will rescue you from your shame and guilt. You needed a Savior. And our great God says, I am going to give you a gracious gift, and it is my Son. And the question is, will you receive him? Will you turn away from all of your pride and all of your arrogance and all of your attempt to know everything, to be everywhere for everyone? And will you say, Jesus, you are the only one. Even though I can't figure it all out, you are the only one. You are my Savior. You are Christ the Lord. We've got to get there. God is giving you this announcement that to you a child is born so that your life can be made new. And will you receive it today? Well, you need to know what else this announcement is. It's an announcement of good news. Number two, it's an announcement that not only a child is born, but that this child is a savior with humble beginnings. This is important. This child was born in a specific environment for a specific reason. Let's look at it in verse eight, seven. He was laid in a manger. As I said earlier, we don't know if it was a stable we don't know if it was a cave, because this is where animals were kept. What we know is this is where animals were kept and where they ate. And I don't know if you've ever seen an animal eat. If you've ever tried to clean out a dog bowl, they leave their spit everywhere. This is not a very beautiful thing that our Savior is being laid in, and our Savior is laid in a manger. Why? Well, it also says not only was he laid in a manger, but he was born to poor parents. Because later on you see his parents traveling to the temple and the sacrifice that they offer is the sacrifice that only the poor would give, turtle doves. Why was our Savior not born to the king himself? He deserved it. Why was our Savior born as a child at all? Why was he not coming in as a ruler, strong and mighty? Because through humble beginnings and through a humble life, he knew it would produce humble followers. And that's his aim. The vision for the entire world, what he prizes, is so otherworldly. It's just different. In his economy, humility is prized over arrogance. In his economy, the heart is prized over possessions. Desperation is prized over being self-confident. Weakness is prized over being competent and strong. Prayerfulness is prized over having all the answers. All of it so that he would be able to show off his might. The Bible tells us why, why he would come as such one who is weak. It's because God's economy is different. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29, he says this, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When a human boasts in what they can do, they are far from the heart of God. 
God is kind to you to show you that your wisdom falls short. He is kind to you to show you that your strength is not enough. And he will do it in whatever way he can to capture what is most important, and that is your heart. And right now he has brought you into this room so that you would hear a great announcement of good news that you are insufficient. And he prizes those who are humble and lowly of heart and who tremble at his word and who lean on him for everything in life. That is an announcement that is good. It's a savior with humble beginnings. Number three, it's an announcement that the child is also a savior who understands and understands every part of us. Jesus came as one who understands and understands every part of us. Now, why do I bring this up here? Because it's not explicitly in the text, and yet it's explicit in the announcement. And that is this. Our Savior came in a womb. He came in a womb to understand every part of our journey. Where do I get this? Because The gospel writers and the writers of the New Testament, as it continues to go, want us to know that our Savior can identify with us. He can identify with us at every turn. No matter what it is, He can identify with our struggle. Now, early on in my life, when things would go difficult for me or things were hard. It was interesting how I would try to find somebody who had been through what I had been through in order to try to get some insight or to get some comfort in what I was going through. And I was bothered by the fact that sometimes people would dismiss all other counsel until they could find that one person who had gone through what they had gone through. And until they could, then They weren't going to listen to anybody else. I think that's not wise. I think you need to listen to all forms of counsel, and I think you need to be humble enough to receive words of encouragement. But there is this. I remember when my little girl was diagnosed with her autoimmune disease, and we weren't sure whether she was going to live or not. And we went through all of these treatments over and over, and then we went through a a season of healing, and then she went back into... um, uh, out of remission and the disease flared back up and just the emotional roller coaster year upon year upon year and the medicines that we have to give her still to this day day after day after day and and you just you just begin to take that in and sometimes you have victory and sometimes you feel down and other times you just hate that it's there and other times you're just so thankful that God has got her here with you and here's what I saw I saw that we began as a family to really be helped by those who had gone through something similar where life was on the brink and maybe a child was at stake and it was just a unique comfort. It wasn't the only comfort we received, but there were places that their comfort hit because of the ability to identify and to testify that God was faithful and good. Here's what else we saw. Is that the door began to be opened a little bit and more people began to come to us after hearing that journey people feeling like that we might be able to identify with them and their struggle and hear their pains. And now think about this story. Think about Luke 2. It's important that our Savior can identify with us at every phase of life. He enters in with the womb. There's nothing he can say that we have experienced that he has not. Goes on to say that he was a man who learned through suffering. He suffered and he had to learn. He took on weakness. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 7, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. He says that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And then hear this verse, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. 
No other religion has God beset with weakness. No other religion can have a God who identifies with you at every part. We have one who sent his only son beset with weakness so that he would deal gently with those who are ignorant and wayward. And then here's the kicker, Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. What's the point of that? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. He knows our journey. And just like people felt a little bit more of an inclination to come to us because they felt like we might be able to identify, you can go to your Savior and know that he can identify with your pain. And it is an invitation, him coming in at the level of the womb, him living a perfect life, him being mocked and betrayed, him being obedient even when he would rather not be to the point of death, even death on the cross, him being abandoned on the cross by his father, all of our sin placed upon his shoulders. He knows what every bit of it is like and yet was without sin. So he not only can identify, but he can save you. This is an announcement of good news, friends, that a child was born to us who is a Savior, and a Savior with humble beginnings, but a Savior who understands every part of you, all of your pains, and so go to him. Don't hold anything back. Come to him. This is also an announcement that carries us to a place of ultimate importance. This is an announcement that carries us to a place of ultimate importance. Let's look at verse 8. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Do you get this? The shepherds were just doing their thing. They're hanging out with stinky sheep. Sheep are stupid. They land on their back. They can't flip over. So the shepherd has to go and do the same thing over and over again. Flip them back over. They eat in this one spot, and even when they run out of grass, they're not smart enough to go and find more grass, so he has to lead them over here with the crook of his, his cane and take him and say, okay, why don't you eat here now, okay? This is what, he's, what they're doing. They're taking care of sheep. It has not been, it is not a glorious and glamorous occupation, but they're faithfully doing it. And then, <laughs> read the next verse. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Okay, you're just at work. You're doing your job. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears to you. And the glory of the Lord shone around you. Okay? Yes, the next sentence makes sense. And they were afraid. Now, this verse where it says, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were afraid. Luke only uses this phrase one other time. And it's at the end of the book of Acts. When Paul is recounting his journey to Damascus and Jesus, the risen Christ, meets him and it says that the glory of Jesus shone around so brightly to Paul and to others that Paul was struck with blindness. This is the exact same thing that is happening here. You have the darkness of night, the shepherds watching over their sheep, and then light breaks in glorious light breaks in. And so not only is this a literal invasion of light into darkness, but it is meant to proclaim a very spiritual message that the darkness cannot overcome the light when God comes on the scene. It can't do it. And so what we have is an announcement that carries us to a place that is of ultimate importance. Because I can't see everything. Right? I don't know what's happening in Turkey right now. I don't know what's happening in Ethiopia right now because I'm limited physically. I'm here. Heck, I don't even know what's happening in Charlotte. I don't even know what's happening in every place in Raleigh. I'm limited. But not only am I limited physically, I'm limited spiritually. 
I don't see what's happening all the time, all around me. The multitude of angels praising God, saints who have died, who are giving glory to God and worshiping him with all of their might. The Bible even says that there are angels that are ministering to us and we are unaware of it. There is a blindness that we can't even see what's happening. And yet right now in the shepherd's life, the supernatural and the spiritual has broken into the very moment and they are brought to a place of ultimate reality. There is a God, and he is alive, and he is glorious and worthy of all praise, and he intervenes into humanity in order to change them to create worshipers for himself. Oh, friends, the announcement of the good news that Jesus Christ came as a baby to save sinners is an announcement that is meant to carry us to what is most important. Last night, I had let a friend of mine borrow my car, and they were driving back from <clears throat> filling out uh, some paperwork for a job on I-40, and my back right tire blew. And so this friend called me and said, I'm on the side of the road, your tire went flat. And I was like, stink, I'm so sorry, are you okay? She was okay, and so I jump in my daddy's car, and I drive out to go and to see what was happening with the tire. Now, I'll tell you what was interesting is 10 years ago, I had another car, and this car died. This was my previous car. This car died at the exact same exit on the same hill where I see my car's hazard lights on the other side of the road. And I was like, ha, that's funny. Okay, wonder what that means. So I turn around, I go, and I pull on the eastbound side, and I pull over, and there's something nerve-wracking about opening the door because you can only get so far off the side of the road. And, you know, there's probably six feet at most, that means this much room, between me and a car traveling 70 plus miles an hour, and there's a lot of them, and it's pitch black, it's dark. So 8.30 last night, I get out of my car, and I'm watching these cars just zoom, 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 and I've seen, you know, these YouTube videos where, you know, cars scoot too far over and hit people on the side of the road. So I'm just like, okay, I have to assess what life is about right now. And all of a sudden, as I'm changing my tire, and in the midst of, you know, frustrating. First of all, those jacks are horrible. I just thought I would tell you. They, they are just poorly designed, and I hate them. But while I, was, while I was trying to jack my car up, the Lord just did this and made everything and put it into perspective of what's important. My car's not important. That tire's not important. We left a Christmas, I left a Christmas party in order to do it. The limp sync battle and who was going to win, that wasn't of what was of utmost importance. Even being with those friends, that wasn't of utmost importance. Things that get serious like that all of a sudden begin to bring into perspective what's of utmost importance. It was that I knew my Savior. This woman knew her Savior. We were okay. But even if we were to be taken in that moment, there would be a sense that Jesus is our king. It is the announcement of the incarnation, the announcement that Jesus came to live among us that brings things into perspective. It carries us to say, there are certain things that are more important than others. And in the Christmas season when everything can distract you, I tell you, this has helped me probably the most this week. And that is this phrase that Jesus coming at Christmas time carries me to what is of most importance. What is of most importance? It is who I trust in and how I live for him. And as many people as I can bring along with me. That's what's of most importance. It makes the argument that you have with your spouse or with your kids, it kind of diminishes that a little bit. It makes the craving for a certain image and 
people to think well of you, it begins to diminish it because you have a Savior who loves you so much that he came and he stood in your place. And he wants you to know as you look at the Christmas story, he wants you to know of what is of most importance is that you trust him. What is of most importance is that he is your Savior. And so then it began to just have my mind roll. My mind began to roll through what is of most importance. And I look at my inbox and I have an email from International Justice Mission where they are doing work all over the globe to stop trafficking of children. And they share stories of how children have been delivered out of this lifestyle and it's light breaking into darkness. And I read an email from a friend of mine that I went to school with who's now serving in Afghanistan. And in Afghanistan, the school education system is a wreck. Here's what it says. He says, there are some deep-rooted problems. There's a shortage of teachers means that the classroom size is 50-plus kids in a crowded room. Corruption practices mean that bribery is more important than performance. Can your family pay them off in order to get a good enough grade? And teacher absenteeism often exceeds that of the students. The teachers don't show up. This is the public system that they have. And so private systems are kind of the only thing that is really providing a decent education. He started a school in Afghanistan. 450 kids now are a part of it. And you're seeing not only light break into the educational system, but you're seeing light break into the dark souls of children and families. Light is breaking in. I hear of friends who are caring for Syrian refugees. And those refugees not only finding a home, but they're hearing the gospel. It's light breaking into darkness. We, we work with a group and we are hearing about a group called Justice Matters who works with trafficking issues here in our city. And you hear of lives being changed and you see light break into darkness. I get an email almost every single week that says, pray for this woman. She has entered into Gateway Pregnancy Center and she is determined to have an abortion. And I get an email almost every single week that says, this woman has chosen not to abort her child and she has chosen life. It's light breaking into darkness. Friends, we get the privilege here to hear of difficult stories and to know that your faithful giving is able to help even those within our church who have fallen on hard times to make ends meet. It's light breaking into darkness. And when David Coker shared last week that over 20 people came to faith in Jesus Christ while they were here in the States, all of a sudden you begin to see that they were destined for a devil's hell, an eternity separated from God forever. And now because the gospel has been brought near, because Jesus came as a baby, as the Messiah, as the Savior, they will have an eternity forever. It is light breaking into darkness, and it takes us to what is of ultimate importance. That's this announcement. It is good news that takes us where our hearts need to be. And when that good news comes, what happens? Verse 13 happens. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Friends, the response of a good announcement over against good advice is that you can't do anything to earn it. It has been done for you. So what happens is an eruption of praise. That's why it's an announcement. You're not going to add to this story. You're not going to make it better. He did it. He sent his only son. Now receive, trust, believe. And he will keep reminding you what is most important. And now as we finish <clears throat> this announcement, and this will help us because this is what I'll be focusing in on for uh, the sermon and the, the uh, part of the December 23rd uh, message that we'll have here in a few days. But this announcement is an announcement that dispels fear. It's an announcement that dispels fear. Do you see that in verse uh, 9? And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Don't fear, for behold. Now, stop right there. You feel like that that's just old English? It's just kind of thrown in there as a fancy phrase? Do you know that for behold is an actual verb there? It means, fear not, look. Fear not, look at this great news. It's news that they'll hear. 
but he wants them to look at it. What's that mean? Well, Mary tells us in verse, or shows us in verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It is to take the good news and to think on it over and over again. It is to reintroduce it to the heart because the heart gets numb to the same story. It is to remind yourself of who this Savior is. It is to meditate on it. It is to look for for new aspects or angles that show you the Savior. Mary pondered these things. And because she did, there was an affection that welled up. There was a treasuring, a loving that happened. And so how does fear get dispelled? Well, to the degree that you ponder and treasure will be to the degree that the fears begin to diminish. Set your eyes upon the Lord. And that's what we're going to do on December the 23rd. We're just going to talk and look and think about our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He dispels fear. And so at Christmas, may we look at what is most important because here's the announcement, friends. Christ has come to us in humble beginnings, able to understand our weakness, carrying us to what is ultimately important and dispelling fear as we behold him, ponder him, and treasure him. This is the announcement of good news and great joy at Christmas time. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is who he says he is. Thank you that Jesus did what we could not do. Thank you that this impossible story, apart from your intervention, taking governors and taking kings and a baby being born in Bethlehem and him fulfilling all of the prophecies and him dying in our stead and him being able to identify with our weaknesses and the humble beginnings in order to create humble followers. Moment by moment, this is an announcement of good news, an announcement of great joy that I pray gives us rest and contentment this Christmas. God, please, anchor our souls, not in expectations that will falter, but in the expectation that Jesus will come again and there's an eternity that is ours that will set us free from shame and guilt where joy will be ever increasing and suffering will be no more in the presence of you, the living God. Would you please help us to set our hope on that message this Christmas. So please, God, I pray, do a great work of carrying us in this moment to what is of ultimate importance and do that throughout this entire season. We pray this in Christ's name.